You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. The year was 1987 when Lori and I moved to Fort Worth, Texas from Alabama to attend Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, when we moved, we went on a dime and a prayer. And the dime was gone before we got there. Anybody ever been there like that? We moved into a sparkling, huge, 800-square-foot, one-bedroom, one-bath apartment. Some of you have been there, done that. The greatest time, really, of our life. Well, when we got there, of course, Lori didn't have a job. I didn't have a job. And, of course, it was all, you know, going to seminary because God had called and, you know, how you go by faith. Well, eventually, of course, Lori got a job, and I was there, and I had a degree. My degree from college was uh, in religion, a major religion with a concentration in church recreation. So when I went, of course, you know, I wanted to go to some church and be a church recreation director or whatever that may be. And never really had anything but just a little intern experience the year before that, before we left in a church. And so we get out there, and uh, I start working at the rack. Now, Rachel Ackland, are you here somewhere today? There you go. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? The Recreation Aerobic Center. And I was there working at the front desk and still looking for a job. And I went through my first semester, and that's the only little part-time job I had. Well, then it come time for the second semester, and I go to register for college, and I am torn to pieces because I'm about $1,500 short of what it's going to cost. And I know that I'm not going to make that money doing what I'm doing right at that time. I don't have a rich uncle. My family barely can make ends meet. But I go to that desk, and we start to register. And while we're sitting there, and I'm going through my classes, then they say, okay, so your balance is about $1,500. Well, I didn't have that $1,500. I knew I was going to be $1,500 short. They said, is your legal name Albert Elmore? I said, well, my legal name is Albert V. Elmore Jr. They said, well, we had a check to come in yesterday to an Albert Elmore for $1,500. And we don't have another Elmore even in the college, much less an Albert Elmore. Ever been there with that? Well, understand, not only did that happen, but about a week or two later, I get a call. If you go look it up, it's a very large church now. First Baptist Church of Grapevine, Texas, which is actually where the DFW airport is. They said, hey, we got your resume. We want to talk to you. So I went and talked to them. They said, we want you to come be our church recreation director. And we just have laid the foundation for a brand new, get this, Huge family life center, college-sized gym, walking track, two racquetball courts, and all this other stuff you could ever imagine, and you are the guy. So I went there, worked there for the two years, the whole time I was in seminary, and this is just kind of how God worked. Listen, there is not a worse feeling in the world when you are convinced you have zero options. And then God shows up. There are people in prison today because they felt like they were out of options. So maybe they embezzled 
money and went to prison. Maybe some people robbed a bank and committed murder. There are people who are no longer alive today because they committed suicide because they felt they had zero options. Perhaps maybe some of you today, you're on the verge of giving up on a marriage, on a dream, or even giving up on life itself because you believe you are out of options. You're really going to enjoy these next four weeks because we're going to be in a series called Zero Options. And we're going to see some situations in the Bible where, where real-life people in real-life situations appeared to have zero options. But they learned one of the most valuable lessons that anyone will ever learn from what you face and the hardest reality of life that I'm going to pass along to you. And here it is. With God, there is always an option. Do you believe that? With God, there is always an option. You may feel like you're out of options, like you're just out of options, but God never is. And the first person, now we're going to look at Daniel this week. We're going to look at Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego the next week. Then we're going to look at Abraham, and then we're going to look at Moses. If anyone ever felt they were out of options, it was these characters. But the first person who is going to teach us how he learned this lesson is a 14-year-old high school student by the name of Daniel. If you haven't done so already, turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, or you can follow on the screen. And his story takes place about 2,600 years ago. The year is around 605 B.C., and this is how we are introduced to his situation, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. <clears throat> One of the promises that God made to the nation of Israel was very simple. It's this right here. The promise was, if they would obey him and follow him, he would bless them. But if they disobeyed him and chose not to follow him and rebelled against him, he would turn their palaces into prisons. They would exchange the comforts of freedom for the chains of bondage. So they had fair warning. Over and over, God sent prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk, to plead with Israel and beg with Israel to repent again and again and get right. But their word, but his word fell on deaf ears. All the prophets' words, they just began to fall on deaf ears. God keeps his promises, both the good ones and the bad ones. So Israel has been conquered. Jerusalem has now been captured by the Babylonian army. And a king named Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan king and a commander-in-chief of a pagan army and from a pagan country. And every time, if you remember, that they would conquer, they would carry out the idols that 
that country worship. Well, since Israel didn't worship idols, he couldn't take idol gods. So he took the articles and utensils that he found in the temple, and he took them out of the house of God and brought them to the house of his God of humiliation. There was something else they did. Look at verses 3 and 4. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. They would look at the best and the brightest men in the country they conquered. They would look for the smartest, socially well-to-do. In other words, as we would know it, the first-round draft picks are the five-star players that the University of Alabama gets. Yes, Ohio State, too. Some of you are just a little slow on that, weren't you? Listen, they would bring them back to their country, and they would give them an intellectual, mental, and spiritual extreme makeover. They were thoroughly Babylonian, and they pulled out all the stops. So look at verses 5 through 7. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Michelle, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. These men, these young men, were giving a full scholarship to the University of Babylon, which was known as the Harvard back in those days. They were given Babylonian names, Babylonian clothes, and everything was for one purpose. The books they read, the clothes they wore, the language they spoke, and even the names they were given were to move them to think like Babylonians, act like Babylonians, and what? Live like Babylonians. There is nothing wrong with studying the world's universities and there is nothing wrong with wearing the world's clothes and learning the world's languages, enjoying the world's culture. But Daniel did something totally unexpected that eventually we all have to do if we're going to follow God and not the world. You know what he did? He drew a line in the sand. And that's what some of you need to do this morning. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, you, many of you know the story, but you understand when Daniel was asked to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine, an alarm bell went off in his heart. A tripwire was crossed. Daniel made up his mind that he would draw a line in the sand that he would not cross. Why would he draw a line at eating the king's food and drinking the king's wine? There have been all kinds 
of speculations and reasons given, but it doesn't specifically tell us why. One thing we do know is that in Middle Eastern culture, when you sit down to eat a meal, particularly with a ruler or a king, it was a sign of covenant commitment, friendship, total loyalty and allegiance. You were pledging loyalty to the king, but there was only one king, and that was God. It appears now as if Daniel has zero options. It appears that he had just only drawn a line, but had perhaps written his own obituary. There is a valuable lesson to learn from this young man. And here's the key takeaway right here. Never cross a line that God has drawn. Never cross a line that God has drawn. In every life, there is a line. On one side, it is the world, and on the other side, it is God. On the God side, you will stay on the good side. To do that, you simply follow the plan that God has given you. First of all, we need to resolve, listen, resolve to guard your boundaries. Resolve to guard your boundaries. Daniel had no problem reading the Babylonian books, speaking the Babylonian language, dressing like Babylonians. But when it came to doing something that would appear to be putting the Babylonian king above God, that's when he drew his line in the dirt. Look at verse 5 of Daniel 1. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. Now understand, that was some good food, I'm sure, and probably some of the top-of-the-line wine. Keep in mind, though, what was at stake. These were slaves, but they were being trained for what? Positions of honor and power. They would be given great salaries, the best accommodations, the finest food, and the finest clothing. All they had to do was just go along and get along. Take what was given, keep their mouth shut, keep their head down, and happy days would be theirs again. I know a lot of that stuff goes on in the world today. There were a lot of reasons for Daniel to say yes. That's what I want you to understand. He was on his own. Nobody back home would ever know about it. Everybody else was going to eat it. Some steak, man, some baked potato with sour cream and butter and some bacon bits and some chives, whatever y'all like. I like it all. Load it up. And washed down with some of the best Cabernet wine. But Daniel had boundaries. Boundaries that his parents had taught him. Perhaps it was boundaries that the Spirit of God had given to him. You see, the word resolve literally means to purpose in your heart. And the Bible says that, that Daniel had purposed in his heart not to defile himself. There are certain things that went against Daniel's heart, and no matter what his head told him to do, Daniel followed his heart. You see, God speaks primarily not to our heads, 
but our hearts. There was a matter of a diet. It was not, I'm sorry, it was not a matter of a diet. You know what it's a matter of? Dedication. Dedication. And Daniel, again, chose not to defile himself. There was a line in the dirt that Daniel had to decide, which side of that line am I going to be on? Someone has wisely said, look at this. There is a choice you have to make. And everything you do, you must always keep in mind the choice you make makes you. Amen? Don't discount the pressure that Daniel was under. It was more than just political pressure to please the king. He faced greater pressure than that. It's a pressure that all of us are familiar with. It's called what? Peer pressure. Remember, he was not the only Jewish uh, teenager that was there. We don't know how many were there. Probably hundreds. Daniel was the first and only one who said no. Can you just imagine the conversation that may have taken place there? It happens all the time, they said. Come on, Daniel. Everybody is doing it. Daniel said, no, everybody's not doing it because I'm not doing it. They said, Daniel, but no one will ever know. Daniel says, two people will know. I will know and God will know. They say, Daniel, you might die. Daniel says, I'd rather die for God than to live against God. That's the line that Daniel had drawn. Keep in mind that Daniel is only about 14 years of age. But evidently something had happened throughout his entire life that prepared him for this moment. You see, there were some lines that Daniel had already drawn in his life that he would not cross. And I want to say to all of you parents, one of the greatest things you can ever teach your children, ever do for your children while they are young, is to teach them where the boundaries need to be and to teach them no matter what else happens, never to cross those boundaries. If you wait until you're tempted to cross the boundary to decide what the boundary is, it is too late. It is too late to decide what your ethical standards are going to be when you are filling out and filing your first income tax return. It is too late to determine your commitment to financial integrity when the money is on the table. It is too late to decide whether you are not going to do drugs or drink or have sex, or go to that first party, or get in the back seat of that car. It is too late to decide what you're going to watch on television when you're by yourself in that hotel room alone. Do it early and know what they are and resolve to guard your boundaries. But secondly, rely on guidance from heaven. Now I want you to listen to this verse again. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Look at that verse. Another way to translate that word resolve is to set aside. That is talking about, again, a line that he had already drawn in the sand. A boundary you put up around life that literally refers to a spiritual conviction. 
Daniel evidently had grown up in a home where he was taught to love God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, and with all of his mind. You could change Daniel's home, but couldn't change his heart. You could change his name, but you couldn't change his nature. You could put Daniel into Babylon, but you couldn't put Babylon into Daniel. There was a God boundary around Daniel's life. Now, there's a word that we use here in our life for God-giving boundaries, and they are called convictions. His God conviction leads to the next part of this story. Look at verses 8 through 14. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Ten, and then verse 10 says, Chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigns your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. Now there is an obvious difference because all of all the Jewish boys that were there, only Daniel and his three buddies were the only ones that drew a line in the sand. What was the difference? All of these boys were Jews. All had been brought up to believe in God. All were taught God's word. All had been brought up to believe there was a difference between right and wrong. So what made these four guys, these four teenagers different? Here's the difference. All of them had beliefs, but Daniel and his friends had convictions. Do you hear that? There is a tremendous difference between holding on to a belief and having a conviction. Look at this. Belief is what you have in your head. A conviction is what you hold in your heart. A belief says, I am convinced of this truth. A conviction says what? I am committed to this truth. People who will argue for their beliefs, but they will die for their conviction. Beliefs are negotiable. Convictions are not. Can I get an amen on that? There are stories about people, and we all know them, who have been shot and killed from time to time because they were asked one question. Are you a Christian? And if they said yes, 
They were shot, especially the shooting at Columbine was one of the ones that I'll always remember. And some have gave that answer, but by the grace of God, they were not shot. Listen, the reason is you will live for a belief, but you will die for a conviction. Beliefs are what you hold on the outside. Convictions are what you hold on to on the inside. There's an even deeper reason why Daniel and his friends came up with this ingenious plan to keep from crossing that line and to obey what they believed was God's will. Don't think for a moment that Daniel just came up with this idea on his own, okay? Listen to verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. While every other Jewish boy felt they had no choice, they had zero options and had to go along to get along and had to do what they were told, Daniel relied on divine guidance. There is, listen, there is such a great principle here that has proven itself so many times even in my life. When you are determined, listen, to follow God's path for your life, God will direct you to the right path. A familiar proverb in all the Bible is this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and what? He will make straight your paths. Remember, when you think you have zero options with God, there is always an option. When you think you are at a dead end, when you think there is no other way but the world's way, and there is no other way but the wrong way, if you will rely at that moment on God to guide you, He will make the right way. He will open the right way, and He will show you the right way. <clears throat> One other thing. Daniel, just like this eunuch, had to wait on God for, his, for the results. How many of you like waiting on God? All of you, huh? Nobody. Amen. Nobody. Me either. Daniel had never been a vegetarian before. So he had no way of knowing how this diet would affect their physical condition. Now y'all all know where we got the Daniel diet from. I would not do well on that. I like meat. I like butter. I like sour cream. I like a lot of bad stuff. At the end of those days, those 10 days, he didn't know how he would look in the eyes of the king, but all that mattered to Daniel was how he would look in the eyes of God. Listen, church, you must decide in your life if you're going to listen only to the voice of God and go the way of God, always know that God's path is straight and God's way is right. Lastly, remember that God is always working. Did you know that our God never sleeps or slumbers? There's a word phrase that 
is repeated three times in this chapter that really is the key to the entire book and to the life of this great man named Daniel. John Booker, you and I were talking about this the other day, about how a lot of people miss the story. Look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Look at verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. Hear those words, and God gave, and God gave, and God gave. It was God that caused Israel to fall to the Babylonians. It was God that caused Daniel to be one of the young men chosen to be a part of the king's family and to receive favor with his supervisor. It was God that gave Daniel wisdom and understanding that was so far above and beyond his peers that ultimately he became the king's right-hand man. Listen, I don't know where you are today, but many of you are absolutely convinced you are in a room with no windows and no doors. You are convinced that you are out of options. You're absolutely convinced that there is no way out of your dilemma except doing what everybody else would do, taking the path everyone else would take, making the decisions everybody else would make, fighting your battle all by yourself, and you've got to look out for you. Let me give you some good news. God is always working. God is always at work. Do you think when Daniel's home was destroyed, he thought God was working? Do you think when Daniel was snatched away from his parents and his family and his friends and his home to go to a foreign land that didn't even believe in the God that he was taught to serve and love, do you think that Daniel believed God was working? When he was being asked to compromise his convictions, To do which in his heart he believed was wrong and apparently no other option. Obviously and evidently, Daniel did believe it. But even if he hadn't, God was still working because God had a plan. A plan far greater than Daniel. A plan far greater than even Jerusalem or the nation of Israel itself. God's ultimate plan for Daniel was to take him to the highest seat of influence in the greatest powers of the ancient world, and Daniel had to be relocated. And he realized he would play a key role in the preservation and the restoration of his people, and eventually in the birth of a Savior and a Messiah. That takes us to the last verse of this chapter which seems rather unimportant and even unnecessary. And this is what it says. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. That sounds harmless enough, but looks can be deceiving. In verse 21, the fast forward button has been pushed. Who is Cyrus? He was the king of Persia. 
who began reigning in 539 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar has passed from the scene and what happened to Babylon? It fell just like Israel. Who did it fall to? To Cyrus and the Persians. Over a 70-year period of time, one king passed, another king came, but one man is left standing through it all, and that is Daniel. Daniel had no idea as a 14-year-old boy when he was taken captive and prisoner into a foreign land that over the next 70 years of his life, he would climb to the highest positions in the courts of both Babylon and Persia. In the last years of his life, he would exercise more power than any other member of the Jewish race has ever known. He had no idea that he would have the great privilege of leading the nation back to God and ultimately their return to their homeland according to God's promise. They had a plan for Daniel than Daniel had for himself. Do you know why that plan was carried out? Because Daniel saw God's line in the sand and he refused to cross it. So let me close this out. <clears throat> As Robin comes and we get ready for invitation, every day of your life, you will come across lines in the sand. The world will tell you to cross that line. Money will tell you to cross that line. Sex will tell you to cross that line. Compromise will tell you to cross that line. You may even be convinced that you have zero option and you have no choice but to cross that line. But you do. And just like Jesus refused to cross the line of taking the easy way out and instead of die, listen, instead, he chose to die for your sins, for my sins, and all of us with God's help, can stay on God's side of the line, which is the right side of the line, which always leads to God's best for our life. Would you bow your heads together? And as I pray, if you're here this morning, and I don't know what's going on in your life, only you and God does, but please know this, that there's nothing that's going to rise in your life today that God hasn't already got ahead of this. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.